0: I miss a green for example I'm already upset when I find my ball in the bunker I'm really upset and when I find my ball in a fried egg fried egg the dreaded fried egg fried egg fried egg fried egg fried egg fried egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course Welcome to the Friday podcast. I'm Garrett Morrison. And today we are debriefing our own Andy Johnson's media lottery round at Augusta National. Here to discuss that with me is Jeff Shackleford. No, it's Andy himself. Andy, it's now a couple of days since you played Augusta. Have you snapped back to reality at this point? Have you had any sort of humbling experiences that have brought you back down to a sort of regular level?
1: Well, I think that would have been the case if I had returned immediately to my uh, my wife and daughter and been, you know, just as well, anytime you're gone for a while, as you and Shane talked about on Tuesday, you kind of uh you kind of assume assume heavy duties right away on on the home front. And I have yet to return, so I'm I'm still kind of uh living I'm I'm still buzzing. Uh I saw the park, a uh, new Gil Hance design here in West Palm Beach. Which was really cool. I'm excited to talk to th- about that at a future date. But like, definitely saw some stuff out there that you know you maybe maybe the first green there had a little bit of Augusta National flair to it. So it is. Uh, I'm still kind of buzzing on it. Uh, you know, the amazing thing I think like I, obviously uh, I never expected to be playing Augusta National. Um, you know, if you said uh, 27 year old me would pretty much the dream of playing Augusta National was gone but you know getting getting to play it was amazing and i think the thing that i'm shocked by is like how many people from my my life have reached out about about like wanting to talk about the round and it just shows like how much of a special place augusta national ho- holds and everybody's like you know golf life right it's a uh, and i think you know for me being a kid that like grew up watching the masters and, and grew up going to the putting green at my local Muni and hitting putts to win the masters and different things. Like it's, it's super understandable why it is, uh, it is the golf, it is a golf course and a tournament that really is one of the big things that makes people love the sport more, you know? And I think that's the, the thing that uh, the couple days after I've kind of picked up on just from people reaching out, um, it's been, it's been kind of nuts. I, uh, So many text messages and phone calls uh, and, you know, everybody wanted to hear, you know, it's like I wrote 2,700 words and people still have more questions, you know?
0: Well, maybe we can get to some of those questions in this episode. You know, you can bring up stuff that people have asked you. I'll I'll bring in some stuff from Twitter.
1: Well, I wanted to talk to you. It was your first time there. I think that we're burying burying the lead here. This was you. This is your first time seeing it in person. I, I wanted to hear about about you.
0: I, I you know I, I I try to keep it under wraps a little bit that I had not been to Augusta National before because it's just one of those things that gave me ongoing imposter syndrome. You know, I had studied the course so much, but never actually set foot on the property. I had read everything I could about it, watched every masters for a few decades, right? Just as you have, and and done as much as I could to learn about the course without actually going there. So I got to cover the Augusta National Women's Amateur a couple of weeks ago and for the first time actually, you know, have Augusta National grass under my feet and go walk the golf course and so that was an amazing privilege, uh, really fun, enlightening. And so I can talk a little bit about that, but you know, people really want to hear about your round and and I can kind of chip in my own observations here and there.
1: What before we get into to to something that i don't really like talking about my golf rounds um
0: <laughs> we, we what... won't focus too much on your golf shots themselves we, we we can talk about the course we're in a safe space here the fried egg podcast i mean i think people expect you to talk about the architecture as yeah. opposed to your birdies and bogeys
1: um what uh what was your like if you had one big takeaway what would be like one big takeaway from you know obviously studying watching and and then then being there,
0: you know, are you going to go th- hills? This is no, no, no. I mean, well, because I, I expected that. Right. Everybody says the hills are bigger in person than they are on TV. That's become a cliche. It's become a joke at this point. Right. When, I mean,
1: it's insane, though. It's, it is. I, like, it, is. Still, it is really like, impressive. That was something for me, with being out there when no people were around. I was looking at yeah. two, and I'm like, that looks like a freaking ski run down, right. the, down the hill.
0: And, and 10, and then how amazingly uphill 18 is. But the thing is, people have heard other people say these things before, and so I think that they've lost impact. So saying, just saying, like, no, really, the hills are really big, I'm not sure is going to convince people any further. One thing that I did pick up on related to the topography was how many shots have obscured sight lines. I think that that's something that people maybe don't appreciate enough because the land is so dramatic. There are a lot of not necessarily blind shots, but partially blind shots. There are a lot of tee shots where if you hit the ideal landing zone, you don't see your ball come to rest. And that's something that is the result of the topography. You can't build a course on land that dramatic and have every shot be kind of perfectly visible from beginning to end. Really, the eighth hole is the only tee shot on the entire course where you can completely see your tee shot come to rest. Otherwise, you know, there's a situation on every hole where you can kind of be blind as to where your ball ends up. And so, you know, that's that's a little thing about the land that really struck me. But you asked for a big takeaway. I really don't have one. I just have a lot of details. Right, that's that's the big thing for me is that I, you know, little details about each hole, about each green that I didn't really appreciate until I saw them.
1: To be completely honest, I think like your takeaway about the obscured um, sight lines off the tee that makes a huge impact on on the tee shot. I like I was shocked at how hard and uncomfortable the tee shots are. Yeah, like I hit a fade, so that like. That doesn't go well there. I mean, you think about the tee shots like 2, 5, mm-hmm. um, 7 even. You kind of want to draw the ball on 7 because of the slope of the fairway and it's narrow. Like you mm-hmm. don't have a lot of space. 9, 10, um, 13 yeah, you, obviously. You go down the 14. list, all of
0: the tee shots are uncomfortable in some way or another. They really are. Uh- but yeah. all those are
1: draw holes. But the thing about it is the obscurity of the sight lines also mm-hmm. makes it because there are these big cascading slopes and it makes you feel like you need to do more than you actually do need to do. Right? right. But like sometimes like you feel like you're hitting, especially I it was pretty gusty wind the day I played and the wind out there. It's nuts. It's just you hear this on the telecast and I, I like. I know people give give tele, uh, broadcasters a lot of shit about talking about things, but the wind out there is crazy. Like you, you stand one place and it feels one way and then you're in a different place and you're like, well, it was down on two. It can't be, you know, it can't be a, like down on four, but mm-hmm. it, you know, you get into these little tunnels and you're, it's like, no, it actually might be. And then you hit shots, and it all leads to this, like, obscured sightlines, the the wind thing. It, what it does is it creates doubt, and that's the thing out there that you cannot have. Like, uncommitted swings are just, like, the, the death. Like, I was, like, very uncomfortable. Um, I wrote this in the article, but I, it's been a long time since I played a tournament. Like, probably, like, four or five years um, since I played my last tournament. Round, and i kind of felt like i felt it would feel on like the first hole of a tournament like a say like a state qualifier usga qualifier where you have this like nervous energy about you Mm -hmm. and you know i think the thing about it and and this is what happens to so many inexperienced tournament players like it's always like i always found it humorous like you people like, oh, he's the best player at this club, and then they go out and shoot 80 in every, every qualifier, right? And it's like it's different golf than club golf, right? And that's the thing out there that I noticed is like it puts you on tilt because of like you really want to play well. Like it's around you want to play well, and you put a little bit more pressure on yourself to play well, but you're also nervous because of the place, the reputation of the place, and all the golf shots that you've watched out there over the years, right? It's impossible to not be nervous, I think, out it, there. It's
0: sort of like what happened to Gordon Sargent at the yeah. Masters. All this type yeah. leading in, this guy has unbelievable skills. He's so long. He's he, His practice rounds have been unbelievable. He gets in the tournament and things go sideways really, really quickly. And I think yeah. that that's something that this type of course does. I, I don't know if there's a type of course that Augusta National embodies, but there are just a lot of variables out there. It's not one of these courses where you can ever get into a groove and feel like you're hitting driving range shots. It's just one where when you're hitting a shot, and I would, I, I'm asking for confirmation here because I haven't actually hit shots there. <laughs> when you're hitting a shot, it just seems like you have so many different variables to go through and you end up focusing on a couple and forgetting about one or two And those one or two variables that you forget, whether it's the wind or the lie that you have or whatever, those end up coming back to bite you.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like the only it's the only time you get like relief is on par par threes when you're on flat T ground. Yeah. Like they're actually kind of like your sanctuary where you get to hit the driving range shot, right? Yeah. And those happen to be they're they're tough like they aren't easy like 12 is 12 you can't figure out the win that's that's totally a thing but yeah um you know like a couple examples of that right and and these are things that you just don't like you can't pick up even watching like i think the other thing to preface this with is like i've gone the last two years as media i've walked the course probably 20 plus times I, I'm very familiar with the golf course, but you don't really know. like I, we got the, a mailbag question about this in Club TFE. Um, our membership uh, that I did a mailbag for is like, you know what what you, are the advantages, disadvantages of walking versus playing when you're kind of like seeing a golf course. And one of the things I said is like when you walk a golf course, one of the tough things is you can't feel the shots. Like mm-hmm. you don't feel what it's like to stand on the tee and like you're addressed to the ball looking out and the stuff that's going to go through your mind. Yes. And likewise like that's I think that's the big thing the difference between walking Augusta National 20 times and playing it is that when you're playing it you get these weird feels and you you just like that's that's the stuff that I took away the most. Um you know, an example, the second hole. I was playing the members tees. Um I played persimmon a persimmon driver and uh and And '70s blades. So, like, one of the nice things with that is I I can hit the ball pretty far. Is that it? It brought a lot of hazards back into play. It didn't bring Mm -hmm. all of them into play that the pros contend with with the with the back tees. It made some tee shots harder. Like five, I found to be a really hard tee shot for me from the members tees because like I had like a a diagonal right hazard with those trees. Mm -hmm. But like the second hole, for example, I hit it over the bunker. I think that bunker shouldn't be there. It wasn't an original bunker, and I've always said that it stops balls from running into the pine straw on the right. My ball ran into the pine straw on the right. Yeah, which is where
0: John Rahm was in the in the final round, actually, because he mm -hmm. carried the bunker and he kind of ran down there.
1: And it's not. It's like a. It's a cool place. It's like if it was just fairway grass, it would be like a delightful place to hit a shot from. Mm -hmm. I would. I would really enjoy hitting a shot from there because you've got like. You kind of have this weight, you get a really nice angle to swing it into that back right pin, you know, with the contour. But I'm standing over the shot and the ball's like, you know, five or six inches below my feet, you right. know? And then it's on a downslope and I was like standing over the shot and I'm like, I'm really worried about just hitting the ball right now because, like, if my foot slips, like, I might shank this. Because like you're, you're it's just like you're on this lie, and then it's like, you know, I hit a pretty good shot, but like what what didn't happen, why I didn't hit it perfectly flush and hit a great shot, was like I didn't engage my lower body the right way. like so in that case, like one of the things I was so uncomfortable, i I forgot to move the right way, right. Mm-hmm. And when you so I caught it just a little thin, it it tailed a little bit on the right, I had a left to right wind there. down left to right wind and and it got in the wind a little because it just wasn't hit as crisp as it, it should have been and ends up in the bunker. You know, and then from that bunker, it's not an easy shot. It's deep. You you know, the back right pin, you're in the right bunker, like you have no green to work with. I try to use the slope, hit it a little too hard, end up on the back edge of the green, and I have that downhill putt. And it's like you can't keep that putt, like a great putt is six feet away. So then all of a sudden you got a 6 so I three putt. I make a 6 and I had 220 yards in, you know? And it's just that's the way that golf course works. It's just like you know, you get out of position and it doesn't feel like you did anything that wrong. But mm-hmm. it it gets you. And it's like funny cuz like you think about Augusta National as it's like fun court. Like there's space, right? You can make a lot of birdies. It is like a, if you hit great shots, you you will make birdies out there. But the thing about it is it's really freaking hard if you if you just get a little out of position. And I think that's the thing. It's like it's super fun. It's super fun to play. But one of my big takeaways is like, God, it's freaking hard. And obviously, I played in the Sunday Masters pins. And with the way the weather was, the course had firmed up from Sunday because it was really cool, crisp, and windy. So, like, I, you know, like... I hit a, sh- a wedge into three. I couldn't believe I barely made a ball mark. Like it was like you know it was got it got kind of firm, and um, you know that's the, you just have to be so precise. So like that's the case on on two. And I don't. I hope this isn't a long winded. But then the one I wrote about in the article is ten. So ten. I hit a really good three wood down there, and I had um, I think it was one ninety. Uh, and I were had. You, were
0: you on the right side or the left side?
1: So there's a, there's a ridge in the middle of the fairway. I don't know if you've seen that. You yeah, I that. mean,
0: there's sort of a plateau. Um, yeah. And and that used to be a really good place to approach where the green was to the right of the famous bunker, right? It's kind of, you're yeah. sort of on, on, a, on high ground there. And the trick was on the old hole that if your ball kicked down to the left, then you had a really hard shot over that bunker. But if you managed to keep it up to the right, you you know you could go straight into the green but now it's the opposite
1: yeah exactly so my ball ended up like right on the edge of the ridge so i had a really severe side hill yes so it was like not on the top on the right side it wasn't on the left side it was kind of in the middle um and it was right by that tree that a few people got caught behind morikawa and kepka Mm -hmm. and maybe the third round it was they got caught back there um maybe this maybe the final round. I can't remember it's kind of all running together the way the tournament worked. um but anyways, so I'm there, so I got one ninety it's downhill it's it's downwind, and uh I hit what what would be like a modern six iron um I think maybe it might have been two hundred. I'm not sure uh i can't can't remember exactly, but I had the side hill downhill lie, very severe side hill lie, downhill lie you know i got i got comfortable over the shot i was ready to hit it you know one of the things with that lie with the down with a downhill lie my tendency is to miss right it kind of squeezes out right and and fades on mm-hmm. me
0: yeah this, you might hit it thin sort yes. of heely so,
1: so the, the tendency now of the sidehill lie is the for the ball to go left right so you're thinking about both of these things right and, and i'm choking up To make sure I hit it solid because I like to choke up when I'm on a side hill and take a little extra club because I'm choking up four inches. So anyways, I I hit the shot and like the last thing I thought versus two, like my body didn't move. Right. When you get this awkward lie, my body didn't move. And it's an easy thing to forget to do. Right. And when you have these lies, if your body doesn't move, it accentuates your misses way more than a flat lie. Like you can get away with not having great body movement from a flat lie. Um, when it's an uneven lie, usually if your body doesn't move right, it's going to be a pretty poor shot. Yeah. So anyways, I, I really focused on that and I just flushed it, like hit it perfect. It was one of the best iron shots I hit of the day. And I just, one of the things I didn't consider enough was the wind. You know, I just, it wasn't in my thought process as I got up to the shot And that's the tough thing is that you have the physical nature of the golf course where, you know, unlike by like the eighth hole, I was kind of like, wow, this place is a beast walking wise. And I know that from walking around it, but it's just like, you know, like you really feel it in your body. Um, But then on the, you know, the other part of it is it will mentally exhaust you as well because of how engaged and how many things that you have to consider on every shot. Mm hmm that that shot landed pin high five feet left of the flag. It was a great iron bounces over the green. And, you know, I hit a great pitch, but I still had eight feet. And it's just like, you know, you hit that shot and it's like, wow, I hit a great drive, a great second shot. And I'm, and I'm walking up and it's like, well, I'm probably going to make another bogey, you Mm know? Yeah. And you you missed, you missed
0: a variable and that's the consequence.
1: And it, it is like that shot though at, Almost every golf course in the world, especially like even like if you compare it to like Cypress Point, you probably get away with that shot a little bit more there. Right. Like it just doesn't. So few places have such a a seismic impact when you when you miss by so such small margins.
0: You know, I saw Roseng hit an approach into 10 from basically the same position on Saturday at the Anwar. This was the first time that she played 10 because she played it again in the playoff and sort of corrected some of the mistakes that she made the first time. But she ended up in that position that you're talking about. She had the ball above her feet, but also a downhill lie. And it was clear that she was just really uncomfortable with it. And if you look at that green, it just totally accentuates the discomfort of hitting off of an uneven lie because this green is just sort of awkwardly perched on a knoll, there's a really severe drop off to the left, like huge plummeting drop off to the left. And then to the right, there's this bunker and the land is high. And so you're looking at either side of this green and you're saying to yourself, I don't want to be on either side of this green. I can't be anywhere except for down the middle on this green, because if I'm left, I'm way down below the green. I have a really tough Uh, chip back up. If I'm on the right, then I might end up running across the green down the slope to the other side and going down that big drop off and being in even more trouble. And so it just gets into your head. You're like, I don't really have a good place to miss here, right or left. I don't have a side of the green really to prefer. And also I'm on this weird lie that's kind of pushing me in different directions and it, it messed Roseng up And she ended up hitting, you know, pulling and kind of hooking her approach into the green. And she was way down on the left. But, you know, she would never hit that shot from an even lie into one of the greens at Champions Retreat. She just didn't hit that shot at all. But she was influenced into doing it by the topography because she was a little bit out of position on her tee shot.
1: I think the other aspect of this that we haven't talked about is um, with Augusta in general is, like, at most courses, 25 feet is a really nice, like, shot. Like, it allows you to play super conservative at a lot of a lot of golf courses. Like, the thing about golf is, like, the very best players in the world are generally the most conservative players in the world. They refuse to give up shots, and they do that by being conservative. At Augusta, you know, here's the thing is, like, 25 feet away on almost every hole is a really you don't want to be there. Because then you're like, I have like I have a lot of work to do to get this down in two. And it's going to be very difficult. It's not a putt I want. So what happens is that those understanding the two putt af- aspect of it, like being somewhere and having to contend with all this slope, sometimes a lot of speed, is that you know, you it pl- it tr- it makes you play more aggressive because you do not like the other option as much as you do at a, let's just say, TPC Louisiana, right? I don't want to pick on on that, but like, you know, <laughs> we know at, what or, you mean, yeah, yeah, that type but, of course, or even like Beth Page. Beth Page would be a great comp. Like those greens are so flat and and like they have this amazing topography and and everything. But the greens, once you get to them, it's like, oh, I'll take thirty feet because I know I've got a decent chance at running one in every once in a while. And I'm not going to three putt at Augusta when you're 30 feet pin high, it's like, man, I got to hit like a great leg putt to get it to four feet. Like, you know, like that. And then like four feet, is not fun. Like, it's not like I, I struggled mightily with short putting. And I think it was a combination of just being a little nervy and uncomfortable, with like what what's going on on the greens that are kind of tricky to read. And, and uh, you know, this gets to another point with the land mm-hmm. is that the greens are really hard to read because they're very deceptive. Um, a lot of greens are benched into big slopes and your eye sees the big slopes and then the big slopes on the green. And it, you know, you really have to read greens with your feet out there. It's the only way to read them. Oh, you no.
0: With you have, your, you have to do aim point, huh?
1: I, I mean a little bit. I don't use yeah. aim point, but I like to walk around a yeah. putt. Like that's kind of how I figure out uphill, downhill, and then I read with my eyes. I struggled reading with my eyes because of they're, they're tricked by like a good example, and I wrote about this as the 17th. The 17th hole, like it's benched into a really big side hill there, that green. But you know, you think about the Sunday pin with it back right, it, it looks like it's up on a plateau right? Mm -hmm. But if you hit a putt from the left side to the right side of that green, it's insanely fast. And you would never think that because you're like, wait, it's up on a plateau. But like you're that the bigger hill is the hill that it's benched into the where the green sits is the big hill. But that plateau, because you're looking at it, looks like it's a big hill, if that makes sense.
0: It, It looks like well, this is one of the things that really surprised me when I was out there. I was walking the course backwards, basically, as you have recommended before, and so I walked backwards with Meg Atkins down the 18th hole, and so we got past the 18th tee and saw the back of the 17th green, and it is hugely built up back there. The back side of that green and the right side of it are just really, really pushed up, and I think artificially. I think oh, they yeah. mo- moved a lot of dirt there. Definitely hard to-, to raise up. Yeah, I mean it would be weird if that were a natural <laughs> landform. That that would be that would be an odd little uh, part of the property. But, um, but it's it's not the kind of build that you associate with Alistair McKenzie. It's more the kind of build up that you would associate with Langford and Moreau or Seth Rayner, where they would just like you know lift up a side of the green to situate a green on a hillside right? In order to make the green flat enough to be puttable. And that's what they did at the 17th green hugely. But it still, it tells you how severe that side slope is that it's on, that the green is still very, very severely canted down the hillside, even though one side of it is pushed up as much as it is.
1: It's, I was talking with an uh, architecture nut yesterday who's, who's been to Augusta a, a few times. And he was actually talking about the support structure of the fourteenth green. And there's like a mound there's a mound like twenty yards in front of the green, but that that right side is really built up similarly to to seventeen. Very much so. Yep. And I had a putt from the right side up fourteen from like the pin high right of that back pin. And I it was insanely slow. I hit it so hard. It was a great I hit a great putt. But I hit it so hard Mm -hmm. because it was just so uphill. And like people talk about this Rays Creek thing, yeah. Like, and a lot of people love to give announcer shit about the mountain. Every putt
0: breaks toward Rays Creek. Yeah, yeah. But but it's not. If I can jump in here, it's not that Rays Creek has like a mystical pull. No, it's just the the land. All moves that way. And so, you know, you're accustomed to that. And so you don't think that the greens are tilted, but actually most of them really do move with the land.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Like the the, the greens are all set into that hill. And so, so even if your eyes see the slopes that are close to you, there's a really big other slope, right? If that makes sense.
0: Yes, absolutely. There, there's the hidden slope is the overall slope of the property. Augusta National is built on a hillside. You know, 11 and 12 and 13 T are at the bottom, but the clubhouse is at the top and everything else is on a hillside. And it's, I think, a testament to the artistry of the routing that you don't feel like it's repetitive or dull, that you're just on this hillside and it's basically one dominant slope throughout the golf course. The routing does a really good job of kind of hiding that and making it feel more varied than actually that piece of land maybe naturally is. And so I think that that's one sort of underrated, under-the-radar thing about Augusta National. It's built on a hillside, and a lot of hillside courses are kind of dull because it's just one basic landform. But through some genius and routing, this course doesn't feel like that. All right, so let's do a quick ad read for our partner, Athletic Greens, and then we'll get to your... We have to hear some more details about your round there. I think people are tuning into this podcast. They want to hear about some some of the birdies and bogeys. We can hit on some highlights. So we'll get to that in the, in the second part of the episode here. So athletic greens. I take AG1 by athletic greens literally every day. I gave AG1 a shot because I was just looking for a healthy way to start my day, get off on the right track. I take AG1 first thing in the morning. Right before I take the kids out to the bus stop, and it just gives me an immediate boost. I feel energetic. I feel healthy. AG One also has has travel packs, which I took with me to the Augusta National Women's Amateur. Andy, did you take your travel packs with you? Are you still? Oh, are you yeah. still sticking to the AG One routine.
1: I, yeah, I, this has been. I I travel a ton. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, clearly. Like- I spend a lot of time on the road and like one of the things that's plagued me the last few years, it's just really hard to be healthy on the road. Um, especially I I'm up early, I'm shooting golf courses. I'm out late shooting golf courses. Like there's not a lot of time in between, especially if you're seeing the course in the middle of the day to do things like for yourself and eat healthy and different things. I'm on a three week trip and, uh, I'm, I'm at the very end of it. I brought enough uh, of the travel packs for the three weeks. And like, I can't tell you like how much better and more energized I've been this trip because like, I, I just feel better in the morning. And I think a lot of it has to do with taking this AG one. Like it just get it covers a base layer of what my body needs. Um, and, and I'm not like just avoiding, I'm not like depriving it of that. So it's been really good. I, I've taken it every day of this trip. I feel a lot better than I usually feel at the end of a three week trip, and uh, I'm you know I'm excited to get home. But like I'm also excited. Usually, my wife's used to me being like completely dead yeah. at the end of a trip, and I might not be a waste of space for two days.
0: You don't need the detox. The usual detox. All right, so if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash thefriedegg. That's athleticgreens.com slash thefriedegg. Check it out. So let's not do a shot-by-shot summary of your round. You know, that that's not the type of content that we like to do really ever even in this case when you got to play augusta national on the media day so maybe just give me from the front nine one big highlight and one big low light
1: um okay highlight i'll give you two highlights i got two that are actually yeah i'll give you two i got yeah go ahead there's like three clear highlights but i'm not gonna do all three um but all right, so the the third hole, I hit I hit a driver. I, I I saw I you know I didn't have my phone much this week. I saw this was a big controversy, um, but I hit my drive, my persimmon. It was into the wind, and I hit it right to the the shelf. I, it was great. I couldn't believe how nice that shelf is. Mm-hmm. Uh, on three, you you have basically a full wedge from a dead flat lie to a a level green that like happens never out there.
0: Yeah. But but look, Google Earth tells me that I need to hit driver up into the terrible lie down left of the green. You know, that's what well, Google Earth and data say.
1: <laughs> listen, we're like, not
0: going to we don't have to get into it. It's a really nice lie up there. It's a nice full way. It's hard to that. get to it, though. Like, I yeah. get
1: it. It's like I got to I was thinking that I was going to get down, but it was into the wind. Um, one other thing, just really quick. I've never been I've never been to a golf course that it's as nice to chip off of the, the lies. It's really, truly like what Mike Clayton always says is like impossible chip shots from perfect lies. Uh-huh. Augusta National, that turf that Rye Overseen, the way the ball sits up and the way your club reacts with the grass is unbelievable. It's like it's really like if you know what you're doing around the greens, it's really hard to hit like have a, a poorly struck chip shot, right? Yeah. You might misjudge where to hit it. The, but like the way the ball and club interact with the grass is amazing. It's, it's unbelievable. So anyways, a three that I was like, I've looked at that green so many times, so many times I understand it. And, um, the wedge shot, I kind of was just like, Oh, I can hit this. It was like I think the yardage was like 92 yards into the into the wind. I hit my sandwich about 105. It's just like the it was just a perfect number for me, and I hit this great wedge. Like it, you know you you always want those wedges to come out with kind kind of lower trajectory, mm-hmm. and and they you can just you can kind of feel the spin on your uh, yeah. when you hit it off the off the face. Yes, and that, I just that's hit. a
0: sign that it's spinning a lot if it's coming out kind of low.
1: And it, it just like, it was just a beautiful wedge shot. And um, it was probably in the running of the best shots that I hit all day. And it landed like five feet left of the flag. And it ended up like 15 feet away. Mm-hmm. I got up there and I couldn't believe how far away it was. Like when I hit it, I kind of was like, oh, I got like a four footer. Like, you know, because you can't see, you can't see the, around the cup from there it's because because that front of the green and why you can't see it getting on the green and feeling it on your feet the green runs away like it's like very severely running away Mm -hmm. and i so i have like 15 feet i couldn't believe that it ran out that far but then the other thing that like i just started to think about was like how freaking good some of the shots that I've seen in my life into that green are the guys that are hitting it and zipping it back against that slope, like just how much spin they are putting on the ball to do that. um the chip shot from down to me seems like the worst thing in the world and the and especially as somebody who doesn't practice like no, I don't want a forty forty yard chip up. Like a green green like 20 feet above you. Yeah, Yeah. 20 feet above me that's pitched away like crazy. Like, no, no, I don't want anything to do with that, especially with like sticky grass going up. It's not a shot that I could hit a bumper and just have it like, I can't hit that shot. Like, and I might be able to like, I might be able to hit it. Like at that point I'd be playing defense. I'd be like, okay, where could I throw this onto the green? And then like every green out there, when you play defense and you're like trying to hit it to 20 feet, all of a sudden, then it's like, okay, I've introduced a very hard two putt So that was um, that wedge shot was a high. Um, and then another high, which I didn't like get to see it. I, I hit a great drive on eight. Um, I was in a great spot. and I got kind of bit up by I, I heard Phil talk or Phil, I think Phil talk about it, how like bad left is, um, eight on eight. Uh-huh. And I kind of, um, I, I, I that upslope, your tendency is to hit like a hook. Um, I hooked a three wood into the tree and it came straight down. So I was in the tree and I hit like, I had some tree trouble. I like hit a kind of basically like a massive flop from like 50 yards. Like, and I hit it up through the tree, got through the tree and it landed like right and caught the slope and rolled down to like three feet. Oh, wow. So that was, that was an amazing I wish I would have seen it on the green. Um, so that was, those were two, two highs. The other high real quick, I hit it like pin high 20 feet or 15, 18 feet right of uh, six.
0: Oh, nice. Where was, I was the pin? In, I
1: was just in the fringe. It was the back right pin, the Sunday pin. Oh, okay. So I was like, I was in like the garden spot. Wow. I mean, like I had, I had, I was a yard off the green. Um, and but putting through that stuff is really hard. I think that's one of the things. Um, when you think about like, I heard you and Joseph talking about how like Victor Hovland will notch a bunch of like six to twentieth finishes. Yes. Uh, I think Joseph said because he just can't chip. Like, think about, like, the some of the best players, like, the best masters, most consistent master players who haven't, like, won there, like Westy and... Um, and I think Ernie L is a different conversation, but, like, Westy and Paul Casey are, like, effectively that player. They can't chip. And the thing, about, the thing about Augusta is when you're a yard and a half with that rye overseed off the green, you really don't want to putt it because you have to hit it so hard to get it through the rye... And then it gets on the green and it's lightning fast, right? Like the the difference in speed from fringe to to green is is insanely different. So you have to chip. Yes. You like you can't pull out your putter and putt it from around the greens like at like at maybe Pinehurst number two, mm-hmm. right? Yeah,
0: and, and Westy, Paul Casey and um, Victor Hovland are all exceptional ball strikers. Yes. And so you can you can coast for a while at Augusta National if you're hitting Every green, which essentially Victor Hovland was doing for a while this past weekend. But eventually things do go sideways. You're forced to scramble. And the guys who can't scramble just don't seem to be able to hang around the top of the leaderboard. Right.
1: Yeah. And they can fit. They can have exceptionally high finishes because they meet the demands T to green. Mm -hmm. But the difference between winning and, and finishing eighth is literally like four or five up and downs in a tournament. That's the difference, right? And those guys just aren't as good. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the beauties of Augusta, I think, is like it really puts a premium on every skill, right? Like I, I talked about the driving, how surprised I was, how tough it was to drive out there. Like it's uncomfortable... It gives you enough space, though, that if you drive it really well, you're going to get rewarded for driving it really well, right? Like, it's not like a narrow U.S. Open venue where it's like, okay, like, if I drive it great, I'm going to hit eight fairways. If I drive it great out there, I might hit every fairway, right? <laughs> and versus, you know, and that's, I think, the thing is, like, and the same thing around the greens is, like, it really rewards you because, like, guys could hit a ton of greens out there, but then when they miss, they have to chip it. You're not putting you know, it's very hard to putt out there. So my low light, um, I've got a, I've got a few. I, I did not get off to a great start. I, uh, I was very uncomfortable. A little nervy. Yeah. And uh, my low light would have to be nine. I, I hit a great drive. It was like one of the few drives that I turned over, and I was really happy about it. I like turned it over right to left. It was amazing. It bounded down. I was down in the flat. It was a great place. Like I was really nervous about kind of fanning it out right and having that really awkward downhill lie, um, and side hill lie. And I hit, I had a a great number, but then I I had watched guys just zip it off the front of the green all day. Um, when, you know, yes, the day before, right. You know, everybody was kind of like struggling and spinning it off the front. And I'm like, at that point, few over par, I made a boat, birdie on eight I'm starting to think all right let's get this thing going you know and I tried to hit like this like chippy I tried to hit a cute shot like a chippy little nine iron that had no spin that came out low and uh I just came over it which is what you do when you don't play a lot of golf um and I you know closed it down ended up on the back of the green and it was like very close to where Tiger hit his putt from and um I, in, in I thought I had I thought I had a good read. I thought I th- when I hit it, I was like, "It's, it's not going to be that bad." Like, it's, it's. It, I think this is good. I think like the first ten feet of it were really encouraging, but then it just kept picking up speed. Like it just and <laughs> was just yeah. right off the front, and I was like, "But then you get down there, and you're like, oh, this is why guys are fine zipping it off the front. Is the chips pretty reasonable?" But I did what a lot of guys do: is I hit a really good chip shot, almost went in, and it ended up four feet past it. And that putt's awful. It's like you're playing it outside the hole. You're barely, you, but and it's really hard to play putts outside the hole when you can't hit the ball. Like you can't hit it because it's so fast, and you're aiming it outside the hole. So I I like I missed that I made double there that was that was a low point I right when I started to think I like was starting to cook I had played I played a really good six a really good seven really good eight and I was like I started to feel really good and then nine I make a double and it's like I didn't you know I, I if I had just accepted that I'm probably gonna end up off the green I would have uh, you know saved a shot there
0: you know something just clicked for me about that putt on nine which I've seen a lot of players miss. Right. We see a lot of uh short misses on the ninth green, I feel like, among even leaders in the tournament. Right. We saw Brooks Kepka and John Rahm both miss like makeable length putts on the ninth green in the in the final round of, of This Masters. Something just clicked for me. When you're way downhill on a putt, as you are if you're above the hole and it's breaking a lot, you almost feel like you can't hit the putt hard enough. To get it high enough, yes, to get on the light right line, because exactly. you're just tapping it, and so at what angle do you need to tap it for it to even find the right place to break into the hole? And so it's that that is an extremely uncomfortable putt. But it also raises a question that Jay Yarrow asked on Twitter. I looked at some of the questions that Brendan Porath gathered from uh, Twitter users and and picked out a few that were interesting. What do you make of green speeds at Augusta National? Because you have railed against green speeds, high green speeds at classic courses before. Would you put Augusta National in that same bucket of courses?
1: I mean, it's a golf course that's been altering their greens to fit the green speed, right? Yep. I don't think that's a great thing. Um, It's extreme. But I will say one of the things I think I took away is that augusta national where they put flags like if it was a pga tour if they're where they put the holes if it was a pga tour setup players would be bitching like crazy like if if the pga tour did this or or the usga if the usga trotted out uh hole locations like augusta nationals they'd be irate because like like you said the hardest thing on those short putts is like is figuring out how to get the ball on the right start line without, like, hammering the ball. You you know what you have to do is you have to hit putts and not be thinking about what happens if I miss. And that's what I thought. My mentality was wrong all day. And it's like the best putters in the world do that, is they are not concerned about the next putt on anything inside 20 feet or so. They are... they they're trying to make the putt and if if it misses that's their next problem it's not something that they consider and where i went wrong was i was so afraid of the next putt that i i didn't i didn't try and make the Does that make
0: sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you're putting defensively. This is how I putt all the time, actually. So, I mean, even if I'm not at Augusta National, this is how I putt. I'm afraid of the comebacker because I just don't want a three putt and end up leaving it short. And this, by the way, is the magic of a a putter like Cameron Smith. Mm -hmm. Cameron Smith has confidence in making that comebacker. And so he has really nice, strong speed on his lag putts and his 10 to 15 footers. And that's something that probably helps tremendously at Augusta National, because especially where they put pins to tie back to that point, the ball's often going to run quickly away from the hole. If you miss on the low side or if you hit it a little bit too firm, it's going to get farther away from the hole than it would at a regular PGA Tour setup where they have a certain area of flatness around the pin that they have to have. They don't do that with the pin positions at the masters at all. And so when you miss your 15 footers, it's not going three feet by. It's going sometimes eight, nine feet by, and you can't really stop it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It that's the that's the thing. It's, you can't be concerned about the next putt out there is 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 definitely a takeaway from there. So
0: all right. Let's talk about a little about the back nine you've told this story in the article that we posted on the com. That's gotten a, a good bit of uh reading. Uh, people have been, people have been going to our little website and reading your article in numbers that I think uh, surprised all of us and, and delighted us. And so I would say that a lot of people listening to this podcast have probably read that story and they know that you really started to pick up steam on the 11th and 12th holes on amen corner You birdied 11, chipped in for a birdie on 12. Now, you described your birdie on 12 in the article, right? You went a little long between those two bunkers and you hold the chip coming back. And that's unbelievable. I don't know yet how you birdied 11. What shots did you hit on 11 that allowed you to birdie that kind of beast of a hole?
1: Well, I mean, from the member the member tees, is
0: not as much of a beast. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. I
1: mean, it's like <laughs> it's so much shorter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. And it's the fairway super wide. Like, I mean, like that was like the one tee shot where I like just stood up and I was like, "Oh, I could just hammer this thing." Yeah. So, you know, um I think like that's one of the things. A uh, one just like observation, playing the member tees, it's a delightful walk. It's just like Green tea. right, right from green the green tea. to the tee. That's green yes, tea. yes.
0: Well, one thing I noticed, Meg and I, when we were walking the course, we made sure to look at where the member tee is and at where the championship tee is. Obviously, they're very far apart. Everybody knows that it's seventy five hundred yards from the championship tees, and it's what sixty nine from no, the members. No, tees? it's
1: like sixty four.
0: Oh man, how wrong was I about that? Why did I think it was sixty nine? Maybe that's because the championship tees were sixty nine. Back in the in the nineties. That's that's yeah. that's where I got that from. Yeah, okay. Unbelievable. Of course, yeah, sixty-four, brain fart.
1: It's like Look, sixty-three seventy or something.
0: I like mean, that's that. unbelievable a, a thousand yards difference. So yes, the space is huge. But the other thing I noticed is that the championship tees are really elevated compared to the members tees in most yeah. places.
1: Well, it's because they ha- they're going back up hills. They're going back up hills down. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And uh, yes,
1: so you go or, to the you or go in to the 15, green. In fifteenth case, you're going down the hill, and it's further low.
0: It's lower. It is lower, yes, because that's yeah, yeah, because you're going down towards sort of eleven or the 11 four, fourteen. Hole or the 10th hole.
1: Fourteen would be the same. Seventeen would be the same. They're mm-hmm. down lower. They sit down lower because you're not, you know. So it's, well, it's a little is, bit of a one mixture. is higher,
0: five is higher, eleven is way, way higher. High. It's yeah. like the championship tee is up in the sky. The member tee is is nice and down low, and it's just like. A really different hole there there's nothing more to say about it like it's such a different hole from not only that much farther forward but also from that much lower your sight line is so much different it's more of an up and over tee shot almost 11 yeah. from from the member tee as opposed to just a pure downhill ski slope type shot which makes 11 sort of similar to 10 in some ways from the championship tees
1: yeah i hit it down and I had, like, a wedge in. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's a way easier shot than what these guys... But I was on the left side of the fairway. Uh-huh. So, like, I had the bad angle. I will say, like, one of the things, like... I saw some old pictures of uh, of the 11th. And, and the green is so much better than it is now. Uh-huh. Um, like, the green looks like... I, I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but th- it looks like, like a like a very it's a very ordinary green and it lost those mounds that kind of came into the front of the green yeah and like were integrated into the front of the green they have those big mounds but they used to run into the green and um
0: is that because the green came farther forward or because no, the mounds I, were structured differently?
1: the mounds the mounds went into it and now it's like yeah. a valley it looks like it's really silly to be completely honest, and it's like it was hard to decipher that from where they have the ropes. Mm-hmm. But then when I was looking at it from like the left side of the fairway, which is way over there where you don't have the mound obscuring, like I kind of was looking at it and I was like, "This doesn't look quite right," um you know. But anyway, so I had a, I had a wedge in there. This is just a, a side from the from the round, but I had a wedge in there and I hit a wet. I hit a great shot. I mean, it landed like it probably like seven feet pin high right. But one of the things that I took away, the greens down there and that part of the course are way softer. It's zipped back. Oh, yeah. It like really grabbed and zipped back. I had a big ball mark. It, and it just because it's in the low part of the property. And then you have the trees all around. There's not a lot of airflow. It doesn't matter how good your sub air is down there, like how much sub air you have. Like it's got to be really hard comparatively, like from three and, to 11 to have similar green. Um, uh, firmness and this isn't a knock I think that greens should be different firmness like that we shouldn't be artificially doctoring greens to to try and have some consistency bar like if this is just like the way it works like the 11th green isn't gonna dry out as well as a third green on a plateau mm-hmm. up in the wind like it's down in a valley with very little airflow so like that thing spun back I had like 25 feet I remembered Brooks Hitting a putt, that I think he came up short. One somebody I watched on on eleven on Sunday came up way short on the similar putt.
0: Brooks was sort of on the left side, left yeah, side so of was, the green. I was left that, side, and so you were right near up. the water. I think that yeah. was Brooks. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I, I I made a note like this putts really a lot slower than you think, and I hit it firm and it went in. And uh, unbelievable, you did a yeah. little
0: bit of scouting. That that's got to be cool to like do some scouting about what a player did in the Masters and then apply it to a round that you played the next day. I mean that's that's just cool.
1: And it was like the first putt so like I you know this was like a a good moment for me because it was the first putt where I was just like let go and just hit it, you yeah. know, and wasn't wasn't worried about the next one. And um and I made it. It was great. And it was it was awesome. Awesome birdie to make. And then, uh, then I went to 12 and 12, 12, well, it, there's a little backup. Lots of people were taking photos. As you can imagine, I, we, I could take photos, but I can't share them. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so a ton of people were taking photos. So there's a little backup. So we stood on the four on the 11th tee, the wind changed direction four times in like the 15 minutes we were there on yeah. the 12th tee.
0: Everything they say about the wind down on the 12th tee 11th green is true. And something that really registered for me on Saturday at the Anwa was that it's a really strange, uncanny, uncomfortable sensory experience down there. Because in general, you can't feel the wind unless it's like really strong. You can't necessarily feel a consistent wind, even if it's a fairly windy day, which it was on Saturday at the Anwa, And so you're down there in this little valley. The wind is being blocked by the trees and by the slopes on every side of you. But you're aware that there is wind because you can hear it in the trees. It's very loud in the trees, the wind is. And that's just going on constantly. You're constantly aware of that. And so it's this weird thing where the primary sense that you use to notice wind, which is, you know, feel, right? Your body. You can't use that. You have to use your ears to know that there's wind up in the air. And that to me, just, it just sort of threw me off. It uh, disoriented me. And so I understood why being on that 12th tee is so uncomfortable for people. Why we see so many bad shots. It's not just because they miscalculate the wind, which is easy to do, obviously, but it's also because you're just thrown off completely. The, the usual way that you experience wind is not working
1: well it's doubt too right like the best it's that pete Dye quote like i if i get them thinking that then i win yeah right like if i get the best players in the world thinking about a shot then i win and that's like totally it like you know it's funny because i i talked with the caddies in our group a ton on the 12th tee about like what should i do what should i do and they all were like hit it hit it over the bunker hit it over the center of the bunker hit it over the center of the bunker. And like we settled on 160 and um, and and over the center of the bunker and I hit it just like perfect. I hit it a great iron and it just carried. It was downwind. We weren't sure how much, it, you know, like it, it kind of was swirling. We thought it was downwind, but I hit it. I hit it great and it ended up in between those two bunkers which was lucky cuz the bunkers are not a good spot like that's really yeah. h- really hard and I uh, the in between them is not great cuz you get like that you I had like a downhill lie and you know it was um I hit a, I hit just such. I'll I, I'll never forget that chip because I I just hit it exactly how I wanted to. It just landed dead on that green and rolled right. It, I mean, like three four feet out, I knew it was in. Um, and uh, it was so that was really cool. It was I mean, birdie birdie on eleven to twelve was was great.
0: I assume that that was really the highlight of the back nine. Also, uh, there was a highlight 15. on fifteen. Yeah, yeah. And so you you hit a great drive on fifteen. Take me in from there.
1: Yeah, so I, I missed the fairway on 13 and 14, and those were probably the two approach shots that I wanted to hit the most. Um, so I was super bummed about that. I made par on both the holes. Um, and, and you know, I, one thing I'll say, just, like, a really... So the wind we had was coming off our right, and I think something that goes, like, that gets just, like, a little bit under-talked about with that right pin on on 13... Is how freaking hard it is to get the ball to the right pin from the 13th fairway. Yeah. Like, cause the, cause you have to hang is, it out. Is like making way the right. ball. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And everything is making the ball go left, especially with, I had the, I had the wind and we saw on Sunday, it was the same wind as Sunday. It was just a little stronger and we saw so many balls end up left. Everybody, everybody was left in the final few groups. And like, it's impossible to get the ball right. It's so you have to like, you have to start it out over the creek almost to get it to be into that bowl area. So mm-hmm. that was one kind of huge takeaway. Um, so 15 I, on 15 T like I kind of gave myself like a self pep talk because I just had hit like two big wipes. Right. Like I, right. They started right and faded. Right. And I kind of like was like you got hit hit a frickin' good tee shot here like you just you have to hit a good tee shot here, and I hit the best tee shot I hit all day and uh I mean it it was it was bombed and uh and I went I I was down it's like two hundred yards out um what a cool cool spot to hit an approach like you've watched all these guys over the years hit shots in there and like i was super nervous i was like i I was standing over the shot it's a slight down slope and like you're just like you see all the places that are bad like i kind of had my eye on the right bunker as like okay Like if this is, if this does like, where, where am I missing? Like right bunker was looking really good. It looked like great. Like the right bunker, you're standing over the shot. I always feel like, you know, when you're standing over a shot, you're looking places that are, you know, where you might want to miss. And, and again, like I, you know, I think back and like where I like, when I really focused on my body and how my body moved, I hit my best shots. Uh-huh. That's what I was thinking about on the T It's what I thought about on ten. It's what I thought about, you know, on on three. You know, it, it's like when I thought about, really thought about, like swinging the club the right way with my lower body and then my shoulders, making sure that, you know, I tend to get when I hit bad shots, my shoulder ter- turn. I don't turn like I'm trying to explain. It, like my plane of my shoulders goes down. My left shoulder kind of turns down a little and it creates an angle and i get steep. Like that's that's when i struggle is when i do that. Mm-hmm. And and i don't use my lower body. So like all i was thinking about on that shot was like using my body. And and i hit just this amazing iron. Like it was a it was a 5 iron and it it started like the wind's off my right and it started 5 yards left of the flag with a little cut and it just held right there. And ended up pin high, fifteen feet. Um, I was I, I I haven't tried on a putt like those. Honestly, like since I stopped playing competitive golf, I, I would say that those two shots, the three shots in a row, were probably the most focus I've expended on the golf course. Mm-hmm. Was were the te- like I really wanted to hit a good drive. It w- it was super fun. Um, unfortunately, my my I just didn't quite hit my putt hard enough. Again, it was going away from the creek like you're on that green, you have this putt, like the last thing you want to do with an Eagle putt, you know, everybody, I always think like people like, Oh, you got to give an Eagle putt a, a great chance. It's like, so I'm gonna hit it six feet harder than I usually hit it. Like, you know, that doesn't make any sense. Like if I have an e- if I have a good makeable eagle putt, yeah, I'm trying to make it, mm-hmm. but like I also like want to have like a tap in birdie, mm-hmm. you know?
0: Yeah, is, like, and the- and the principle of what makes a good putt doesn't change just because no. it's an eagle putt. That's that's, <laughs> if a, it's a, par that's a mistake putt, I mean- <laughs> that people make, right? It's just cause it's an eagle just because it happens to be for eagle doesn't mean that the fundamentals of what makes a good putt are suddenly different. Um all right so anyway you were trying hard on this putt but you weren't you weren't looking to putt it into the pond it wasn't yeah. like pond well, or make
1: yeah i just like i didn't i didn't judge the that i was putting away again up the hill up the slope this is the things that trick you out there right yep. and that you would learn over time right is like one thing i learned is putting from the left side to the right side there is slower hmm. even though it doesn't look slower you know it it felt like it kind of looked like I was put on a flat putt. And when I went around to the other side of the, uh, I, I usually like read uphill downhill with my feet, but then I go to the behind the hole to see uphill downhill. And it's funny because on from one side, I was reading it one way from behind when I was, when I was like down reading it, it looked like it was downhill, but it wasn't. And, and so anyways, I left it. I, I it just, it I didn't leave it short. It just ran out of steam. Like it, if I hit it, with six more inches of pace it's in um so anyways then i went to 16 maybe my when i think back about the the nine so i'm two under at this point and i was like i mean i'm like a euphoric sense of yeah, mind yeah like, you're, you're
0: walking on air right now
1: i'm like yeah. i was like and i just like you know you get in these golf you know i always think you play golf in waves right mm-hmm. you know like when you don't think you're ever going to get out of a bad funk when you're on the course and you need to hit like a couple good shots to get out of it,
0: well, well, I would say, especially you, th- this isn't unique to you, but you are somebody who who rides on momentum, whether it's positive momentum or negative momentum. Oh yeah, I like, I get you, you are kind of you are kind of the microwave man in one way or another. You can you can be pretty low and and you can do things that kind of keep you there, and you can be pretty high. And you can really like get hot and shoot very low scores. So I would say that this is a a characteristic of you as a player.
1: Yeah, so I was feeling great. And like usually when I get into this, I get like I get really cooking. And uh 16, we had the number, everything. Matt McCaddy was awesome. Um, and we had the number and everything. And like, so one of the things with my blades, with my 70s blades.
0: And by the way, I should mention for people who haven't listened to past podcasts where you've mentioned this or read the articles where you've talked about this, you aren't playing these clubs because you're like, look at how hardcore I am. I'm playing Augusta national with my vintage set. And then you go home and, you know, bring out your modern equipment and you play that every day. This is actually the set that you have been playing full time for a while now, at least since you broke your modern driver in Nebraska last year so what happened? what
1: happened was uh my old set of clubs that were fit by club champion my irons my six iron broke the epoxy just ran out and i'm for people that don't know me like this is like you know for people for normal a normal person this is like oh I'm gonna go get it fixed yeah. and I would go like me going to get it fixed is like the Herculean task of the century. Like me <laughs> If somebody left their hat at my house, like getting me to get it to the to UPS store <laughs> and ship it is like that's a an act of God to get me there. So like when things like this happen, it's just like I I like am like, okay, you know, and and I have to go get fit a club champion. I've been putting it off for a year just because of the time commitment. I uh I, I'm gonna go do it. Um but anyways. So I my six iron broke, and at that point I went to a half set. I went to all all um, odds. Yes, and it was great. I loved it. And then my eight iron broke. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that part. No, not that. Not my eight iron. My se- seven. And, my and seven odd, iron. An
0: odd number broke, so you couldn't yeah, do seven. either odds or evens for your yeah, half
1: so, set. Yes. <laughs> so I went from five. I went from five to eight. And I was like, I can't do this. I didn't
0: know this part of the story. That's so funny.
1: So a guy, Elliot Ross, who used to work for Tom Doak, he runs a company called Twirl Clubs now. Yeah. He had sent me these clubs. He's like, I think you'd really love playing with these clubs. He's right. I love playing with them. And And my one thing was like, can you put the shafts that I have in my clubs in these clubs? So they're blades. They're 70s blades, but they have like the shaft, the same shaft. That I had in my old Club Champion. Yeah, it's club. like a
0: Project X modern yeah. shaft. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: So like, so anyways, he sent them to me, and I bet. So I then at that point, I was like, well, I'm gonna use these because I don't have another option. Well, my old Mizuno's, I gotta throw my buddy under a bus. I had some beautiful Mizuno MP33s and 60s. He was getting into back into playing golf. He hadn't played since he was a kid, and it, we were roommates at the time and uh he's like do you have clubs that i could use i was like yeah you could use these irons and they're like they're the uh, maybe my favorite irons i've ever had in my life he gave them away
0: (laughs) oh my god some mp33s that's that's a really it's a really nice set of uh golf clubs i'm like
1: i'm still mad about it (laughs) yeah i'm still still pissed off about it It it's kind of unbelievable um, All right. I mean, anyway, I mean, anyway. So, long story so short, th- this is so your have, this is
0: your permanent set. You're not you're not doing this as some sort of performative like. Well, then my driver,
1: know. my modern driver, which I used to carry a modern and a persimmon around with me. Yeah. And my modern driver broke at Sandhills last year. Yeah. And I almost cried because I loved it. I like loved it. And I like it was like a very bad day when it broke. You know. So, anyways, that broke. So like at that point, I didn't have a driver. So it's like I have this persimmon driver and that's what I use. I use a persimmon driver. I use the blades and it's because all my other clubs broke. (laughs) So anyways, on 16, one of the tricky things with these irons, right, is I get yardages and like I I still remember what I used to hit from yardages Mm -hmm. and I have to add one club.
0: Yep. There's a number that feels right, you associate it with a certain club, but now that's different because these lofts are like like the pitching wedge that you have in your set is like fifty degrees
1: yes, so like i I have to add a club to every every club so if so w- the number we set on was one seventy and I could hit a seven my old seven iron, my modern seven iron was one seventy five so it's like a nice, smooth seven iron, and I just like. Didn't think that's a six iron. I just pulled seven. You didn't
0: convert, yeah.
1: And and I think it was because I was rolling, you know, because like I wasn't thinking. I was like I had and I hit this thing. the 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 line to that Sunday pin is the left TV tower. Um, if you if you're watching, so it's the left TV tower, and I just I hit one of my best irons of the day, pured it, um, and it came up like 15 yards short. 10 15 yards short and it was like that it ended up on the front part of the green i I, and i like i didn't realize i hit the wrong club until 18 when i pulled seven iron and i like thought back and i was like wait a second i hit seven iron on 16 not six you know yeah and that's when i realized that i just pulled the wrong club
0: out (laughs) (laughs) and so you three putted there
1: yeah that's a super slow putt again yeah. you're putting away
0: that's right you're putting toward the clubhouse
1: it was i i hit what i thought was a really good putt and i tried to swing it in off the slope and um it just died it didn't have enough speed to catch the slope all the way and then i missed the next one well that was a really hard putt the the putt from like pin high right is really really hard <laughs> um so yeah, then I got to 17. I made a double there. I told that story of the shotgun start. It mm-hmm. was, I hit it into the grandstand, which was, um, intentionally, intentionally. I hit yeah. it left off the tee. You never hit good putt. You never hit good tee shots after three putts. Nope. Unless you really like take your time and concentrate. And I was kind of pissed off and I was, I was mad, but I, I wanted to make a par cause I was still under par. And that's why I wanted to get into the house at with the, on the back nine, um, And I, I hit it into there and then I had the optical illusion on 17 that we talked about at the top. I hit what I thought was a perfect chip from left of the green. I like, it was one of those chips where you're just like, okay, that's going to be super close. Um, it rolled off the back, hit another chip up, missed another short putt. It was a theme of the day was short putt misses. Um, I, I mean, I probably missed like five putts inside five feet. It was, it was hard. Um, and then 18, 18, so narrow.
0: Yeah, that, that tee shot is crazy. I mean. Those bunkers the, need the, to the, go. The, but, well, the bunkers are, like, the whole thing is weird looking, but I see the point of it. I see why it is the way that it is, because it's just very challenging and intimidating. But when you're looking through that shoot, all you see is those bunkers. They fill your field of vision. And that's, that's really all that you have to focus on. So it's hard to imagine hitting a successful tee shot there. It would be hard for me to stand on that tee and see where I needed to hit it in order to be successful because all I'm seeing is those bunkers and the trees on either side. But it sounds like you hit a good tee shot there.
1: Yeah, well, you know what I did is I switched to my three wood and I hit there my three wood tw- twice off the tee and I hit it right like dead nut straight. I Like one of my regrets, I should have hit that more um, because I I hit it really good. I'm like just, i very... I love that club. It's a PT three wood. I love it. And like, I think there's always something if you like just love a club, like you swing better with it. And I love hitting that club. And, um, and I, I didn't drive it great with the, with the persimmon and, uh, and I hit it just like my, my caddy was kind of surprised. He's like, you're hitting three wood. And I just, hit, I hit it perfect. I had, um, I mean that, that second shot's so uphill. It's uh it's a plus 15. It's crazy. Uphill. It's crazy. Um, you can't
0: see anything. Like you yeah. just, uh, it, it's just, it's wild. It it doesn't to an extent, like this might be a weird thing to say, but it almost doesn't even look like a golf hole. It it looks like they put a golf hole, like almost in the wrong place on the property.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nuts. And then you're hitting from the upslope. And like we talked about on eight, like one of the things when you're hitting from that, you miss left mm-hmm. and you don't want to miss left, um, so I think a lot of guys miss right because of that. Like they're conscious of like, I'm hitting from an upslope, the tendencies to go left. So you hit right. And th- I think that's just like an interesting thing about the shot. I hit a great iron. Um, I had, I was like probably 15 feet pin high, right. Um, and uh, I hit a really bad putt. Never had a chance. It was okay. left, left from the start. Um, so that was a bubber not making, I, I, not make a birdie, there it was a bobber, but it was fun. I mean, it was a super fun putt because, like, you've seen that putt so many times. Oh yeah, and you're like I know it looks like it breaks a lot, but it doesn't break as much as you think, you know. Type thing. And it's like it's the Marco Biura putt, effectively, right?
0: Right. All right. So that that wraps up your round at Augusta National. What are what are some closing thoughts here?
1: Um, I I think like just my general thought is like I I I kind of put this in the article, but like. You know, life's funny, right? It's um it's a long journey. And um when you're a kid you think it's gonna you just are naive, right? Mm-hmm. And you it's like, oh, I'll play Augusta National someday, right? Yeah. But then like you know, in my twenties, like I you know, just didn't think it was ever gonna happen. Like, you know, why you know, I was just a normal guy working in working in Chicago and, and um, you know, to get this opportunity was so cool. So one of the coolest traditions, um to play it right after the right after the, the masters was I mean, it's just unbelievable. And uh I think like I think that's the thing is I'm just extremely, extremely grateful for the uh the chance and, and like I mean it's something like I don't you know, I I I have a weird golf mind. My wife it drives my wife nuts. I like can remember a shot from, you know, I can tell you every shot I hit in the twenty fourteen State Am, you know, if we wanted to go back to it. And, uh, and I have this weird memory, but this one, like you create these like vivid golf memories and these are going to be probably the most vivid golf memories I have. And, and I think, you know, listen, like a lot of people have been like, is it your number one? Would you play? Like, I think the thing about it is like, I don't, I think it's the, all the memories of watching the tournament over Mm -hmm. the years. And like, you know, there's something about the masters where it's just. I, I mean, I'm still thinking about it because of you know covering it now it's it's a completely different experience and a little bit you i heard you, you asked Shane about this, and like i do I do miss like being a fan mm-hmm. um like i don't I don't get Master Sunday and like it's funny because like the memories I had were like of like back to like the the early masters, yeah, that's the stuff I was thinking about yeah. was like the Masters I watched when I was a kid was That's what right. I was remembering almost more so than the, you know I, I I mean like I I remember a little bit of Crenshaw. My dad was a golfer and my mom picked up golf when I was uh, when I was uh, when I started playing, and it's like I I remember watching Crenshaw. I wasn't a golfer at that point, mm-hmm. and um and you know but Faldo was my first big memory. It's it's just. I don't know. That was it was so cool and obviously just a um you know, lifelong dream.
0: Yeah, you know, a lot of what you're saying there really resonates with me too. I didn't get to play the place, but this was the first time that I visited it. And so I had a lot of the same thoughts, you know. I have been a golf fan who has watched the Masters every year since I was probably 9 or 10 years old. Those are at least the ones that I remember. The Crenshaw Masters actually is the earliest one that I remember really vividly, because I was a big fan of Ben Crenshaw. I, I related with him. I I wanted to be like him. I had a putter sort of like his. I didn't have the eighty-eight O two, but I had a a Ping Sedona, you know, is sort of yeah. similar shaped, and I tried to putt like him, really kind of wristy and flowy, but I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. Um, and he, I just thought he was so cool and and sort of handsome and well spoken and gentlemanly and. Seeing him win the Masters and break down afterwards, and talk about his mentor, just w- had a huge impact on me. And uh, and so those are the kinds of memories that came back to me when I visited the place. It wasn't the sort of nuts and bolts architecture that we talk about now. I, I don't want to dismiss that. I think that what we focus on as 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 journalists or as as uh, you know whatever you want to call us as architecture writers when we go to augusta national we want to describe to people what is it beyond the mystique that makes this course great what are the actual things that that you know have have formed this course's reputation in the first place why is this a great golf course beyond all the other stuff that's around it beyond all the pomp and circumstance that's kind of what we focus on as the fried egg, right. When we're writing about the architecture of Augusta national, we're almost like myth busting. We're kind of getting to the, getting to the real core of what this golf course is, how it was designed, how it's presented. And we see things that are both really good and other things that could be improved, other things that we would like to see changed. And so to say that Augusta national is my favorite golf course or your favorite golf course kind of misses it because, you know, obviously we've, we've, given both praise and critique to the golf course. And I think it deserves that when you strip away all the other stuff, you know, what you have is a really, really strong golf course that does have some weaknesses, but I was struck by how little of that really mattered to me on my first visit there and how much I thought of my childhood, how much I thought of the really deep past masters the 97 masters which i i sort of the final round of which i kind of know shot by shot even even shots that tiger woods didn't hit even if it was like tom kite hitting a chip with his little lob wedge you know i i remember those kinds of shots and and that all came rushing back to me and i think that that's not something to shy away from that that this course really means something to us as lifelong golf nuts it it really it really has an impact being there in person that goes beyond the architecture. And I think that it's, it's, it's fine to just say that I was wowed by it. I was overwhelmed by it. It brought back wonderful memories and I have enormous gratitude for getting to go out there and and walk around the place. And again, like you, it's something that I didn't expect from my life. You know, what five years ago, six years ago, I was a high school teacher with no designs whatsoever on becoming a golf writer or being on a podcast or doing anything of the sort. And now here I find myself, you know, I'm, I'm not young. People don't usually change careers in their mid thirties. I did. And all of a sudden I'm in a position where I get to be a member of the press and go walk around Augusta national. And that is really cool.
1: Yeah. It was such a cool thing. I, you know, one, like, like last thing, just about kind of along the same lines as that is like, you know, I, I played a ton of golf with my dad and my mom growing up. Right. Like that's, you know, we would go to the municipal golf course and like a lot of times, you know, it was with my dad on on a Saturday afternoon and, and everything. But one of the things like, as I played tournament golf, like the first person I'd call after every tournament was my dad. And we'd just like talk about what happened like you know you go through the round and everything and you know the last few years i i haven't played any tournament golf i i I've, I've, haven't played a lot of golf with my my dad or my my mom and you know it's funny because like i'll go to sandhill we went to Sand Hills last year twice and then called my dad after that round you know i i play a lot of great places i don't call my dad after i play like I got in the car, I pulled out of the gate, and the first person I called was my dad. Yeah. Just like, you know, it's just like, it was. that's like the level of what, you know, that, that it meant to me.
0: All right, that's a good place to wrap up. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> this episode of the Friday Egg Podcast was produced and edited by Matt Ruchus. Thank you, Matt. One more note, if you would like to support The Fried Egg in the best way possible, join Club TFE. Go to the friteegg.com slash membership and see what we have to offer there. It's a content offering. It's a perks offering. You get perks in the pro shop. You get early entry into TFE events. You also get access to the Club TFE blog and our weekly course profiles. It's been a lot of fun to get to know Club TFE members in the comments section there. And I feel that we have a really cool community forming. So we would love for you to join us there. It's $120 a year. Go to the Friday.com slash membership and check it out. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back again soon.